Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Rami Umptum Ruminations. My name is Scott, and I'm the host. Today's very special episode is called An MTC Instructor Goes Through a Faith Crisis, Part 2. Welcome back to the podcast, Rami Umpton Ruminations. I've got a special treat for you again. Megan Spence is gracing us with her experience with the church and her understanding of the MTC. And I am excited to have her back on and continue our discussion that we had from last week. So without further ado, Megan, welcome back to Rami Umpton Ruminations. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me back. Last week, we did a general overview of both your relationship with the church and your testimony and how that shifted as you worked for the, worked at the MTC and how your religious deconstruction, if you will, started because you were working there and you had some questions presented and some things that didn't add up perfectly to you. And then you kind of talked a little bit about you being uh, one of the only women in the department among you know, 60, 60 men to six women, which is like a one in 10 ratio and kind of how that was a struggle and how that uh, didn't seem to line up with equal representation. Was there anything from last week that we didn't cover anything that you wanted to amend or maybe clarify anything that you wanted to, to jump right back into before we get to some of these other, other uh, discussion points? No, I think I'm just excited to dive in and, you know, answer any questions or kind of explain a little bit of how it was like. Last week, we kind of covered your your kind of experience and your transition and, and the MTC kind of as an overview. This week, I want to dive into some of the some of your specific experiences and get an idea of what it's like to work there. You started working in the MTC in 2015 until 2018. Correct. Your time there wasn't solely as an instructor. You were a training coordinator for part of that as well. I think the listeners can assume what like a missionary teacher does, because that's something that as we have gone through missions, we have experienced it. We kind of seen a little bit of that. What were your duties as a training coordinator? So I was hired, I believe it was like December of 2016 to do a year long contract to be a training coordinator for new teachers. So we were getting an influx of new teachers, about 60. And they hired me and uh, kind of my partner, another guy um, who's been teaching there a little less time than me, but it was awesome teacher um, to be coordinators to train these new teachers coming in. So we're teaching them, how do you teach missionaries, right? How do you learn the curriculum? How do you get adjusted to these schedules? And then we kind of put them through an onboarding process, right? It was like a 12-week process of, you know, once you're done with this, you can have a district, a group of missionaries of your own. So we would meet with other trained coordinators who were over full-time teachers. So I think the group of us, there was, I think there's seven of us, maybe six of us. That were training coordinators. And then there was a secretary and my supervisor. And we were over all of the English teaching teachers. In the whole MTC. In the whole MTC, the English teaching ones. Yeah. So this isn't like ESL or, you know, a language based. These are like, we know we, like we are native English speakers, teaching missionaries going to English speaking areas um, and teaching teachers to teach these missionaries. So a lot of it was like, how can we increase curriculum? How can we help these teachers? How can we improve classroom learning and classroom experiences? And how many English speaking missionaries at a time would you guys, we could say maybe the summer months and then maybe the winter months, how many English speaking students would you have at a time during the summer? Oh, there'd be a huge influx. Um, so each one of these training coordinators was over 20, 25 teachers. Um, and then each teacher would have be partnered up and share a district of, you know, 12 to 18. And during the summer, it's hard to kind of calculate during the summer, we would have um, more of an influx. And so the teachers are teaching like two different districts at a time. They're teaching like a morning shift and a night shift. I mean, hundreds of missionaries and up to like thousands of missionaries, right? Well, on the high, high points, but I mean, the numbers fluctuated a lot, a lot. So I just know during the summer we would get significantly more and housing was an issue, which later led to them getting, uh, building a new MTC. 
um, kind of in the South Campus, right? A, a new building within the MTC or? Yes. Yeah, it was part of the, it was in just like South area. But it was two brand new, really shiny buildings. Were these new buildings solely dorms for new students or were they additional classrooms? Like what was the, what's the function of these new buildings that were built? And what years was this kind of going on? So we opened up for tours. I believe it was June. I have notes here. June of 2017. So these buildings have been in the process for for a little bit. Um, They were just classrooms. And like a few office space areas and IT areas. A lot of they could do feedback a lot with missionaries about the MTC and their experience. And the MTC has really old buildings. Most of them from like 1970. A lot of brick, few windows. And a big feedback they got from missionaries was it is dark and dingy in this dungeon. You know, (laughs) it is is soul crashing. I remember the shenanigans at the MTC. It was a, it was a dungeon and we got up to a lot of fun, a lot of mischief. Yeah. I I think when we were there, we had a bat issue. Like bats were getting into some of the dorms. Oh really? Yeah. I don't know where it was just, I remember some missionaries came in that looked so tired one day and I was like, what is going on? They're like, Oh, a bat was loose in our dorm. And I'm like, (laughs) my goodness. So unfortunately, these new buildings are amazing. Yeah, they were not dormitories, but they were classrooms. And I mean, they put so much money into these buildings. They are gorgeous. Aside from the carpeting, um, they decided like they wanted to be vibrant. So really weird thing is they decided to like put bright greens and yellows throughout this building. Yeah, you can look online and see pictures. It is shocking. I like walked (laughs) in. I'm like, is this like a base coat? Please tell me this. Is it like the actual... They took that it needs to be brighter, a little too literal. I mean, lime yellow. Um, so we would call it the, we we're on the lime or lemon side. It was. Where I live in Portland, we've got a chain of, of Mexican restaurants called Muchas Gracias. What you're describing has given me like vibes of like a Mexican food chain of, <laughs> of colors. It's, it's so unfortunate because I got like some of it in the carpet and it's like the chairs are that color in the wall. But like on each side, it's a different color scheme. It's awful. I mean, it's not important. But anyway, they got really excited about these buildings because they thought they would do uh, kind of like a temple tour, but an MTC building tour because public doesn't really see the MTC. You know, there's never opportunity for you to walk in. There's a lot of security. So we were part of the planning process. Real quick. Yeah. Were these buildings within the same like block that the MTC campus is on? Are they outside of it? Like where, where are they located? Yes, they were technically, they're technically inside the campus, but so like you have the Provo temple and you see the MTC gate. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more South, but it's still within the structure. So like if you're on the campus, you can access anything. If you're in the buildings, you can walk to anywhere in the MTC, but it kind of feels like a college campus. I would, I would say. But the objective, they were really excited about doing tours to the public um, because uh, missionary count was going down, especially after the announcement. There was like an influx and then it just kind of went back down, especially with elders. So this is five years removed from the age change. You're having a decline in new new missionaries. Yeah. And especially elders. And because uh, we would sisters came in pretty regularly like they were. and But the elders, not as much. but. I think they wanted to increase the desire. So they did a survey at the end, if you went into the MTC uh, for the tour, and they kind of asked you, like, what what was your experience? How likely are you to now serve a mission, right? So they were hoping, if they did this, that, like, all of these young kids would be like, I want to serve a mission now. I saw all this, like, cool yellow-green sherbet halls. I want this, you know? <laughs> I don't give it credit. This it's color actually, scheme's doing it for me. <laughs> yeah, it's doing it. I want it. Um, which I mean, I got to get more credit. It, was, it is a beautiful building. Like it's 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 it feels very modern day uh, temple vibes, you know. Okay. But so it was interesting. We finally got the surveys back, and I remember sitting in that meeting, and they go, "So we got the results from that survey. It had very little effect on the youth. Did not sway their minds." Either way. In fact, um, the only survey, the only data that showed that it increased desire was in older men who had served missions. They were now inspired to go serve senior missions. Maybe feeling nostalgic, being back on the MTC campus, and they're feeling, hey, I'm retired now. I can do this. Exactly. And that, that was the only effect 
that it really had. And I just remember them being so devastated, specifically some of the coordinators that were in charge of this, just being like, oh, it didn't work. You know, like it didn't inspire as much. And so they stopped doing tours. I mean, I think if you knew someone on campus, they would still open tours up every now and then, but they kind of put a kabush on it and any future tours and were like, okay, it's, it's not effective. In these meetings that you had discussing these, these tours and the statistics that came out of them, what conclusion did they make on why it had no impact? Or do you remember? You know, I don't know if they could actually pinpoint why exactly it didn't do it. Like they would have like missionary classrooms set up and like, there's a lot of glass so you could look in and see missionaries being taught. And I remember missionaries just feeling like they were, you know, fish in a bowl, you know, yeah. being observed. But I don't know if anyone quite knew why it didn't quite inspire. They thought maybe if it looked new and fun and exciting, it would entice these young adults. But I think they're just realizing that maybe young adults, there's a bigger issue beyond the MTC, why young people don't want to go. Well, in the MTC, it's just the very beginning of the mission. And it doesn't really even give a, a good glimpse of what it's like to be a missionary. No. Oh, no, not at all. Looking back on my time as a missionary, like those are almost two very distinct memories of being in the MTC and then being a missionary. Very different things happened. And even I remember being in the mission field and everyone's like, yeah, you don't learn anything at the MTC. Not really. It's until you get into the field. Like that's a very common. <laughs> and I remember having conversations because this is an issue. So we had so I'm like just giving you bites of like these meetings we have, but we're meeting. And when I say we're having meetings, I'm talking about like the, me and the other training coordinators, this 10, this group of 10. Okay. With our supervisor. Would you not have, would they not be combined with other language coordinators? Sometimes we would like that. There wasn't unknown, not as often because a lot of time the language people were more worried about language curriculum opposed to training curriculum. They'll figure out how to teach once they get there. Yeah, kind of a little bit. I know. I know some will just be like Megan, (laughs) but uh, no. So in this like group of 10 in these train coordinators meetings, our supervisor had gone out. I kind of mentioned this previously, gone out into the field to observe some mission presidents because we were, you know, trying to collect data. And a big issue we were having was we could train the missionaries with the best curriculum in the world for three weeks. They get into the mission field. And either their companion or their mission president tells them, forget all of that. Here's what you're supposed to do. And that was very common. So we'd go out and the mission president would have created this weird thing. We're like, oh, you have to do this. And we're like, where are you getting this from? And it's, you know, so there was this kind of defeating cycle of like, well, it doesn't really matter what we do here at the MTC. They're going to go out into the field and the mission president and mission culture is going to make everything we taught them irrelevant. Well, the question that it's making me think about is, is which version would be the inspired one? The one where the general authorities are having a direct hand in or the one where the mission president is there boots on the ground. And on one hand, maybe if I'm going to be lenient, I could say, you know, maybe this is the general instruction that should be across the world. And then on their individual level, they can make tweaks as needed. But it just, it kind of, highlights this issue that you had mentioned earlier, or at least that you had mentioned last week in, in our discussion, where you have butting up against each other, both these, the ecclesiastical side and then the employee side of the church having different goals with these missionaries. You know, it, it's kind of interesting. You would almost lean, I think, as like a born and raised LDS active woman that, yeah, we got to follow, follow the ecclesiastical side. That's the revelatory side. But also working in the church you know, these people have been trained in curriculum and teaching and business, and those are the employees, right? They have the educational background. I mean, all these mission presidents could not, like they, they could be from a completely separate field of sales or something. No courses in pedagogy are required to be a mission person. <laughs> no. And, and so you're kind of like, well, okay. So if we're relying on their revelatory experience, what we're seeing time and time again is that they receive revelation of some sort and it's not in line with church doctrine or church curriculum. And so half the time as like my supervisor would go out, he'd retrain these mission presidents, you know, in a very like supportive way, like, Oh, I'm representing the MTC and I got permission from the area authority. And how about I do some trainings with you? Um, so then it was kind of like, well, can we do more trainings with mission presidents? Can we, get them more in line so that what we're actually teaching missionaries here in the MTC works. Cause I think what the, 
and when I say what we're teaching missionaries, I'm not necessarily talking about doctrine because the doctrine we're teaching very basic. I mean, it's like faith, repentance, baptism, you know, very, very basic article, article of faith one through four. And that's it. Yeah. Like we're not going into any type of deep, deep doctrine at all, but what we are teaching them is like, how do you teach someone? Like the biggest thing obstacle, I think for any MTC teacher was trying to get missionaries to not talk so much. They would come into a lesson. They, so the missionary would come into a lesson and they would immediately just run over the investigator, like just talk their ear off for 30 minutes, not ask one question and then leave. And they're like, that went so well. And we're like, you gave a talk. You didn't give a lesson. (laughs) (laughs) So we're teaching them like, be comfortable with silence. It's a lot of salesman techniques, right? Um, Leave them with an action. Allow them to connect to themselves personally, you know, let we'd say like, let the spirit teach right in those silent moments. So we would teach missionaries this and then they would leave the MTC. I would say relatively good teachers. Then we would have someone go out into the field where these missionaries were a month, three months later and see that they had reverted back to over teaching. And we kind of ask them, you know, why like interview them after, why do you do this? And they go, well, my companion taught me or my mission president taught me this. And so there's frustration where the MTC was getting blamed for lack in baptisms and lack of proper curriculum. And we're saying, well, it may not be that it may be what's happening in the field and what they're being taught. Were you as an employee in the MTC, were you privy to like updated baptismal numbers as they were happening or how exposed were you to the conversion rate of non-members or investigators becoming baptized into the church? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, I don't think directly we were supposed to get the info, <laughs> but, <laughs> but of course our supervisors will be like, I'm just going to share highlights from our recent meeting. Right. And so I would see a lot of PowerPoint slides and this was all for us to like, how can we improve? So I do remember one that showed baptism rates um, and the data was like, the numbers were kind of vagued up, but you see this chart. Okay. And you see, and it's, I think it was from like 1950s to current, which I think at the time was like 2017. And you see this like gradual incline and then this massive incline in the 80s. With these baseball and soccer field baptisms. Yeah, right. Which they're all saying, oh, it's because, you know, you know, so-and-so said flood the earth with the Book of Mormon. I think it was Benson. I'm not sure about that. Um, But like flood the earth. And then someone else is like, or like the whole South America fiasco where people are getting baptized for the wrong reasons, right? Or they're not really actually converted. Or reporting baptisms that didn't happen, you know, the the graveyard baptisms and all that stuff. Exactly. Or like baptizing a bunch of kids, you know, you know, playing games and yeah, it's not good. Yeah. To join the soccer league, you've got to be baptized. (laughs) Yeah. So you see that big influx and then it kind of tapers down and, you know, it, it wasn't a huge decline, but after 2011, there is a massive slope in this graph. And we were asking like, why is that? Right. And 2003, I think around that time period, maybe 2004. A slope downward. Yeah. So around 2003, 2005, Preach My Gospel comes out. So we're thinking it's not Preach My Gospel because you would see it more there. Why is it specifically like the 2011 timeframe? Like what is going on? That it just really is declining. Kind of the thought was maybe it was like the fundamentals curriculum. So that was the curriculum we pulled from Preach My Gospel. Maybe it's like a delayed reaction to Preach My Gospel teaching, right? Because we went from flashcards and more structured lessons to this more open lesson. And then there's other things like this is a big variable, right? Maybe it's not curriculum. Maybe it's modern advancements in technology in the internet and that proselytizing isn't looked at as fondly as it was before, you know? So no one could really say, right? But all we knew was that baptisms were declining rapidly. Well, there was a variable changed right around that time period. That's when the age change happened. Mm-hmm. Is that something that was discussed at all as being being a possible contributor to this? Yeah. So initially, if you kind of like change the chart quite just a little bit, you'd see a, a slight increase, right? Because of the volume. But then after the the number of missionaries came in and it leveled out, the decline continued. It's one of those those changes that's only going to, on paper, look like success for one year because that's all that it affected. 
I think the the general thought was baptisms are going down and we need to know more accurately and with more solid data why. Okay. So our, they, they put together, I think it was in Georgia, but I'm not confident um, that that was that state, but they did kind of a collection of recent converts, eternal investigators. So people that usually are married to members who just never join, but do everything a Mormon does anyway. They're kind of like, why don't you join? So they interview people who had met with missionaries before. They just did a whole kind of shot and they brought him into this big room and they just had him answer a bunch of questions. And my supervisor and several other supervisors, and I believe some ecclesiastical leadership went down there and interviewed these people. And they were, the whole objective was to collect data about baptisms, right? Why people join, why they don't. So then our supervisor came back from this and gave us the, the general hitting points that he thought were significant. So, and he took like a picture of some of the post-it notes because they were like putting post-it notes of their answers as well as like visual aids. But they asked these people, right, who either had recently joined or never joined, why they joined, like if they could rank, rank things of why they joined, why they didn't join. And they just kind of asked them general information about like church attendance and scripture reading. So this was really interesting. This was like quite profound is they found that the number one, one reason why people at least as my supervisor was, was informing us um, that people didn't join was Joseph Smith. Like information about Joseph Smith was a major deterrent. And uh, which shocked us because we're like, man, the first lesson we teach missionaries to teach is the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is about Joseph Smith. So I think from that, they were talking about maybe focusing the first couple of lessons away from that topic. Um, they also found that, um, <clears throat> the number one reason why people joined was the community. They joined because of the social aspect of the church. Um, they asked converts, you know, did you read the Book of Mormon? Most of them didn't read the Book of Mormon. And then they asked if it impacted their testimony. Very few said that it had any influence on their testimony, whether they joined or not. That the Book of Mormon had very little impact on someone's testimony or very little impact on their motive to join the church. And that most of them who, you know, would now consider themselves active members, right? hadn't read the Book of Mormon to its entirety, you know, it was just kind of scripture. And, uh, they, you know, those who attended church, right. Were, uh, you know, it was more for the social aspect, not necessarily for doctrinal fulfillment or sense of community. They wanted that sense of community. So they get back to us with this data. And so I know as like the English department, we were like, yeah, maybe we should, you know, suggest start up the chain that maybe we should change the lesson structure. Maybe it should be less about Joseph Smith. And I remember there's two other coordinators were like, yeah, I, I never get why we do it. And it was so funny because I always <laughs> felt this. And to see my other coordinators be like, yeah, why do we initially just talk, start talking about Joseph Smith? And uh, my supervisor kind of like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. And it was, you know, not talked about again. Yeah. Well, the supervisor might be more aware of the red tape. Yeah. The red tape. Like you don't push, you don't push concepts up the chain. Concepts only come down the chain. Change only comes from up. It does not come from down. Yeah. So you're presented with this information. Your supervisor is giving you all this, these statistics on the reasons people join or don't join or what deters them from joining. Is there any noticeable change? I mean, I know you were only there for maybe a year after this had happened, but was there any sort of significant impact on the way it was being taught in the MTC after having this information? Um, not, not quite outright. Um, this data was just kind of interesting, right? Like it was just like, okay, now we have some things we can like data substantial that we can send. But when it came to the training department, did that change how we were training teachers or missionaries? Not really. Um, I think we did try to make an emphasis to teach about like, you know, focus maybe that first visit on heavenly father, Jesus Christ. And um, the Holy Ghost and kind of avoid Joe Smith until maybe two or three visits in, but it's still in Preach My Gospel considered within that first lesson. And, you know, it changed how we use some pamphlets, <laughs> you know, but until we have very clear direction, there's not much you can do. And I mean, a lot of the training department, our supervisor would be like, okay, this month we're focusing on pamphlets or we're going to really focus on involving the Book of Mormon in our lessons more or and he was always like, this new thing, or we're going to read this book on how you better teach people. And it was just, it was just stuff that never actually quite 
created much change. I just my mind keeps going back to the to the question that I asked earlier about the connection between the downturn in baptisms and the age change. I mean, if there's going to be anything that's correlated, you would look at the thing that happened right at the same time or right around the same time. And and it makes me wonder, and I, I don't know if you might have any more insight into this than than anyone else, but sending out 18-year-olds as opposed to 19, I know it's one year, it's not a huge difference in maturity, but you're getting people straight out of straight out of high school, living with their parents, no experience as an adult. These are air quotes for the listeners. Jumped right into this position as a missionary. I think that is something that would warrant research and study to see if it has any sort of impact on this baptismal rate. You know, you're bringing up some really good points that I think also lead into other things with you know MTC and mental health and 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 different issues we saw. But I think they're seeing a decline in baptisms. But I also wonder if there was a decline in that age range leaving the church. Well, you know, like why they did the age change, right? Like there was a lot of young men leaving um, before 19. And so I think they did this age change, not only to hopefully increase baptisms, right, but also to get people onto a mission quicker. Because I think it's, it's pretty well known that people go on missions. The church wants people on missions, not only for baptisms, but more likely to indoctrinate and to get you fully in the, in, as a missionary. So, um, you know, even though like, even with that graph, so the, as it's declining, um, 2011, 2010, 2011 going down, then there was a slight uptick with the age change, but then it continued down. So you can just assume that if you correctly analyze that data, right, that you would probably just see a, a continued slope. It's just an increase in volume of missionaries. Yeah. I think, I think there's a bigger influence on modern technology and like the gospel topics essays coming out. But those hadn't been released yet before this downturn had started, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right. But yeah, because I think that was, oh, see, uh, it was like, the gospel topic essays were like in a response to the CS later. 2012, yeah. I think, was the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I do think having just like information available, but I don't even think any of my supervisors fully understood why it was going down completely or what the major factor was. You mentioned an interesting um, subject and maybe we'll transition there. If you've got some insight on this, you said that um, the missionaries going out at 18 instead of 19 had some sort of an impact on the mental health of these young adults in the MTC. Was that something that you were, you witnessed firsthand? I recall, and you know, I was, I was 20 when I went out and, Mental health was something that some of my companions struggled with and myself as well in the MTC. And so maybe since you, you went before the change and you also taught after the change happened, what, what are some of your perspectives on that? Mental health thing, I think, is a huge issue in the MTC that they don't talk about as much, but I think they've, they're starting to a little bit. Um, on my mission, we actually were given surveys for what I found out later was them trying to put together a stress management manual. So I remember being a missionary and getting a survey about like, how would we rate stress and different things? And we were kind of a test mission. We also got like tablets and stuff before people. And so they were testing stuff out. But when I became a teacher in that first year, um, having missionaries who have never lived on their own or sustained themselves without family support, um, they struggled. They struggled a lot. Homesickness was such a big issue. Like the first three days of missionaries in the MTC, they struggle, right? Because you're putting them in a situation where they have no phone, no technology, no family, no friends, no support. You're giving them a very rigid schedule to live by with complete strangers who they literally cannot get away from, right? They have to be in sight and sound 24-7. Like they can go to the bathroom, but even then it's like kind of like communal group bathrooms for a whole floor. Like you're just, you're never alone. And then you tell them to live a completely religious life and you're surprised they have issues. And so, um, as a teacher, we were given a lot of resources. We had this like stress management, like one class we would teach of the three weeks where we talk about stress management with the missionaries. And it was created by a lot of the, the therapists on campus, right? 
and there was one um, therapist on campus. I knew him by name. He's in a lot of the videos, but I often had to send missionaries to him. And I, and sometimes you need to walk a missionary to the counseling office. And um, I had one summer where there's a lot of missionaries who are having struggles and, and some you realize you probably shouldn't be on a mission because they need a lot of help and support that they're not getting. Um, the younger they were, they were some of the most devoted missionaries and sometimes the most troubled and the most that were struggling with their mental health. And um, it's really hard as a teacher to watch these young kids just kind of implode slowly. And I mean, I remember one sister had to pull out of a classroom and she was not talking to anyone. She was just like staring off and I was trying to engage with her and I literally had her walk her down and, uh, you know, get her help. And I just feel like, what, why are we doing this? You know? And so we would bring it up. Um, I remember as teachers, we'd bring it up to our training coordinators. We'd bring it up to our su- the supervisor saying, you know, is there any resources we can have to, for these missionaries? Can there be something? Can we give them more exercise time or something? And a lot of time we'd bring up like, you know, does anyone addressing how many issues we're having with mental health here? And I remember, I think this was as I was a teacher. I brought this up right before I became a training coordinator and there's a couple of their teachers that were like, yeah, I feel like there's an issue. And they're like, oh, there's honestly, it seems that way. We were told this, it seems like there's an issue, but there's really not. And no joke, a week, a week later, we had an MTC wide training from the like therapy department on how to help missionaries and that they wanted us now to pull missionaries out um, once a week and just do a status check with them. Like not an interview, just kind of like, how are we doing? How are you taking care of your mental health? And I'm like, this was a week after we brought it up. And they're like, there's not an issue, but here's a training. And, you know, after I left the MTC, they changed that now missionaries can video chat or call their parents once a week, which was unheard of. And I can't even tell you how many times people brought that up as an option and were shot down. Yeah. Well, and then the, the weekly calls home that they do at this point as well. It's, it's dramatically different from when you and I served. Yeah. And, and, and so I think it's the kind of put our head in the sand. There's not a problem, but yet, you know, you see these things coming along and we'd have conversations with some of the therapists, like, can we do something better? Are we, are we failing somehow? And he's like, I've been doing, I remember this, this one guy, he's like, I'm doing this a long time and you're doing all you can. We're trying, you know, kind of giving that impression that there is a little bit of a conflict from like a therapy side on campus of, you know, some things need to change with how we structure a missionary's daily life. You're obviously going through a faith transition while you're working there. Did this subject have an impact on the way you viewed the church? Part of my faith crisis, right? There's this doctrinal side, right? Where I'm now starting to question the like validity of the gospel itself. But then there's also this cultural conflict I'm having, right? Which I would view as like sexism in the church and issues with ecclesiastical and business side, and also like how we treat mental health and why we have missions to begin with. And which I I consider more of like a cultural questioning, which didn't quite get me to leave the church, but it definitely helped when that doctrinal side was like confirmed. And I was like, well, I already don't like the culture. But now I know for certain through the doctrine that I, you know, for me that I needed to leave. But I, I think there is a mental health issue. I think we've come a long way. You know, there's a lot more resources. And then I think like when my brother, he's like 10 years older than me when he served, you know, and we've had a lot of conversations that he wishes he had all these resources they have now. But I also started seeing towards the end of my tenure there that like they really the focus of the MTC is more now on getting the missionaries to stay in the church than to convert through baptism. And so I wonder how much of the schedule and the pressure these young people go through is by design in some form, right? Um, To kind of break them down so that they're having these experiences that are confirming their testimony which felt manipulative, you know, it was, it's hard to watch. That was always uh, a subject that was presented, even as a missionary myself. I remember 
sitting in one of the devotionals that they had and and one of the general authorities is up there talking and and the point that that they were hammering across i can't remember who it was at this point because it's been 15 years they were what they were trying to say was the most important convert that all of the missionaries would have on their entire mission was themselves and it just made it evident to me at the time that solidifying my testimony as a missionary would would direct the rest of my life. And it largely has, even even as I've left the church. I felt the same way. Like, I also struggled a lot with my mental health and like just having anxiety and, and elements of scrupulosity a lot in my life of just constant rule following. And I do remember after leaving the MTC, leaving BYU, and finally just being a college student working part-time you know, I think I like managed a restaurant and I was just like, just trying to get through and to get my degree. And it was the first time in my life. in I think like five years, five or six years, actually, that I hadn't been living by incredibly strict moral code. Cause right. I was on my mission and then like BYU has code and then MTC has code. And I could just breathe for the first time. And it was a relief. Like people do ask me like, what did you feel when you left? And I was like, relief. And I mean, I'm still very Mormon in culture. I cross stitch at night because I'm like an 85 year old woman <laughs> internally, you know, and never, never broken that habit. But um, no, I, I, I feel I think when I reflect on the MTC now, I do feel regret for those missionaries that I taught who were so incredibly sweet and kind. And I wonder, was I part of the process of getting them more indoctrinated, you know? Was I part of the manipulation? And that's that's a hard pill to swallow and something I have to come to terms with. But one of my biggest regrets, at least from my mission, looking back on it now, is very similar to this. I was, you know, district leader of my little group that we had. One of the missionaries came to me one day and asked me, basically bared it all and said, Hey, I'm thinking about going home. I'm feeling all these emotions. And he kind of went through all these these depressive ideas that he'd been going through and some of the struggles that he was personally experiencing. And I, you know, 20 year old me was towing the line and giving him what I thought the church would want me to tell him. And I just, it just breaks me thinking about the things that I said to this guy. I just wish that I could go back and, and say to him what I would say now in that same conversation, because it would look, it would look so different. He did end up leaving the very next day. And at the time, I felt so bad. I felt like I had failed my responsibility as his like ecclesiastical leader, if you will, or whatever you want to call it. I'm just so glad that he left, though, now. Just like it wasn't right for him. I'm glad that he didn't go. Yeah. But it was one of those experiences that, uh, that, stick, that stuck with me because it just didn't fit with the mold or the narrative that I had grown up with. I'm sure you have so many more of those than I do. This is, you know, my my six weeks in the MTC. I had, you know, a handful. I hope you know that no way invalidates that. That is incredible. Like those feelings and experiences you had in that moment feel very true to me, right? Like they feel very like, yes, I can, I can um, sympathize going through those same things. And um, I had a couple of missionaries who were like, I think I need to go home, or I think I need to you know, and I somehow get them to stay. And, you know, at the time for most of them, I was still like very fully believing. I thought I was following God's plan. And, you know, there's some that I saw on BYU campus because I taught enough missionaries that like I was still at BYU when some came home, like they'd finished their missions and they'd run across me and someone would be like, why didn't you tell me it was going to be so hard? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, and I was like, oh, man. It was also funny because I'd be like in a hoodie and a ball cap and they only saw me in like, you know, so they're like Sister Spence in the middle of like BYU cafeteria. I'm like, oh, Lord. But there are some that I've met that have left, like the missionaries that I taught or teachers that I trained at the MTC that have left. And we've had some really interesting conversations, you know, and a lot of times it's like, well, I thought you were really active. And I was like, well, I thought you were really, you know, committed and active. Like, this is crazy. Why didn't we ever talk about this? Um, cause we do hide. I think even as teachers and coordinators, we do hide a lot of that doubt. I mean, sometimes we mention things. Well, if you express any of those doubts, it, it, uh, outs you as not being part of the in-group. Exactly. And, and you can't do that. Not within this institution. 
I had this funny training. Oh man. It was when I was a teacher. And so my training coordinator, so this is, I'm a teacher at the MTC and I'm in a, and my area is like 30 teachers, 25, 30 teachers. Um, it fluctuated all the way down to like 20 at times. So we're, we're doing this training, um, as a teacher and my training coordinator is like, Hey, we're going to talk about kind of like the five elements of the the gospel, right? Faith, repentance, baptism, you know, going through. Um, and he said, today we're going to focus on repentance. And I remember him going in your groups, I want you to get together and I want you to share with each other, like as BYU students or somewhere UBU students, like, what are we doing to, what are you, what goal are you going to set to better exercise the, the, the process of repentance? Right. So, um, I think a couple girls were like, Oh, I'm going to pray more. Or I'm going to read my scriptures. And at that time I, I like would swear casually in my life. And I was like, well, I'm going to swear less. <laughs> and I thought it was like a genuine answer. And I'm telling you, it was silent. They were like, what did you just say? I was like, well, I'm going to try and swear less. Like, you know, and just that I wasn't going to stop, but just try. <laughs> it was shocking. The best part was the following week he followed up and they all were like, so sister Spence, how'd yours go? And I was like, well, I minimized, uh, not completely <laughs> got rid of it. And I had like <laughs> the most appalled looks from some of the teachers, like, how dare you? And other teachers were like, that's great. Right. Cause no one's really that honest. I mean, half of those people would have agreed, but yeah. So there's, it's, it's just a weird environment to be in on that side, but entertaining nonetheless. So you probably don't have a good statistic for this, but maybe help, help me get an idea of how often would some of your students leave the MTC early and go home? Was that something that was every single group, every other group, a couple times a summer, a couple times a year? Like how often were people leaving? Um, yeah. So, I mean, normally it's going to happen more during the summer because during the summer I can work full time. So, right. I'm teaching twice the districts, right. So the, the ratio is up. So anytime I think of missionaries going home, I usually happen during the summer, but I think that's more because of the volume, but I think it was maybe once every four districts, someone would go home. And then you'd have weird kind of unicorn events where you have three missionaries. I had three missionaries go home in one district during a summer, all for very separate reasons. But it shook any time a missionary goes home. It shakes the district to a core because the reality that you can go home for some is terrifying. And some is like watching a boat sail away. That's your saving grace. Right. And so there's this weird, so you have to kind of prepare these districts if anyone does go home. But um, yeah, I did have one summer where I, it felt like one every three districts, someone was going home. And it was a very strange summer. That wasn't really normal. I would say usually it's like one every four districts you have. But I would keep up with them on like emails and stuff. And a lot would go home the first three months in the field. So a lot of sisters would go home for like medical reasons which um, I think more or less was more mental health that I would get. At least that's the vibe I was getting from these emails. So would you say like one every group or every other group? Like what's kind of, I know it's not like an official statistic, but like these people that you're staying in contact with that do tell you that they, that they went home, like how, how often would that happen? Yeah. So if I'm like considering those who went home, like the first three months in the field. And also like if they went home in the, the the district, I would say it was like one every three districts I'd had that I would hear about someone going home or they'd go home. An average district size of like 12 missionaries. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking like one in 36, one in 48 going home. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I've got one more question I'll ask you. And then we'll try and wrap it up and you can kind of give any last thoughts. What was your favorite interaction you had or the, your favorite memory of working at the MTC? I loved as a teacher, you got to be an investigator. So part of the teaching process is you pretend to be an investigator and the missionaries would teach you. So you wouldn't break character. They're like 20 minute lessons. So you go into like this kind of mock living room. I remember going into those. Okay. So you, yeah. So um, I loved doing those. And interacting with the missionaries. And I think anytime like they'd have this like revelatory moment where they would genuinely help me or, you know, I'm pretending to be an investigator that I taught my mission, but you're filling in the blanks with like your personal life. So if they're asking me like what I did that morning, I'm like, oh, yeah, like 
went to school. <laughs> and uh, so you feel like you're being spiritually fed by these missionaries. But I just realized like their devotion and their kindness and like when they really got a moment. But also some of my favorite moments is when they said the absolute worst things they could possibly say. <laughs> and I, I remember this. I remember this elder. So I was playing an investigator that was divorced, right? So for this exercise, I mean, they're about to go in the field in like three days. Okay. And these elders struggled in teaching. They were awful. I mean, awkward turtles. They just did not know what was going on. And I I just don't know what to do with them. So I'm giving them this investigator and I'm like, okay, for this exercise, we're pretending you came into the field that this, this is an investigator that you, they've written about, right? You haven't met him. I'm just, so I wrote on the board, like a notebook, you know, like of information said she's divorced. She's, you know, struggling with a lot of things. She's had the first two lessons and now you guys are going to teach her. Okay. Cause I'm trying to prepare them. How do you prepare a lesson when it's not like you didn't just meet them, right? It's kind of in between lessons. Yeah. Cause that's pretty common in the field. Yeah. So I was like, you're about to go out. Let's get more realistic and more, you know, you know, uh, relatable uh, experiences. These elders prepare this lesson. And also in the MTC, especially in these new buildings, they have like two rooms connected and like one room, it's a mirror and the other room, it's a window. So like you could put your whole district in one room and they could look in, in this fake living room to watch a lesson. And, and sometimes those work, sometimes they don't and they're soundproof, but it's effective. It's a teaching moment, right? So I get these elders. I'm like, Hey, you're going to teach me, but I'm going to put the district in the observation room. And so I, I tell the district, you know, don't be judgy. This is like, you're supporting your elders, you know? So I'm in this room. I have the elders outside. They knock. I let them in. I'm just like getting in the mindset. This one elder is just very nervous and can tell, but I'm, I'm feeling good about this lesson. I'm like, things are going to go, go well. And he sits down. He goes, I think I was playing a lady named Shannon. They're like, hi, Shannon. And I'm like, hi. They're like, how's your day been? I'm like, it's been good. You know, just, you know, doing this and that. And Elder goes, okay. He takes in a deep breath. And he goes, so why are you divorced? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm just like, what did he just say? And all of a sudden, I look over at the, the mirror and it's shaking. Because I can hear about 14 missionaries in the other room laughing, like hysterical that we can hear it. So his companion just looks down like, we, we can't recover from this. Like, I don't even know where to start. Like, <laughs> and, and we're like 18 minutes in and I can't break character. And so I'm, I'm like, I don't even know how I, like, how would someone react? Do I stop this? Like, can I be authentic, you know? And the elder was just so ashamed. And he just looks at his companion, stands up, and he left the room. Right. (laughs) So I had to like walk out and be like, he's all, and I was like, elder, it's okay. It all happens, you know. And he's all like, who says that? Why would I say that? I don't, who says that? And it was just, (laughs) so those moments I loved because they're great teaching opportunities, right? Of like, how do you talk to a person? Right. (laughs) But, but also it, it led to a great opportunity where the district really rallied around him and we're like, okay, we have ideas, you know, we can help you, you know? So those are the things when I think back, what I love about the MTC, again, the missionaries, they made me laugh. They said horrible non-doctrine <laughs> things, <laughs> but uh, they, you know, they just tried so hard just seeing young people trying so hard to make their family and their God and, you know, everyone proud. Yeah. You got to admire that in some form. Yeah. Religious or not, you know? Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience and making me laugh a little bit with some of your stories. That's uh, <laughs> This has been a pleasure. So thank you so much, Megan, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Is there anything else, any final thoughts, anything you want to leave the audience off with? Um, you know, we talked a little bit, you know, that I do feel the, the regret of, um, you know, sometimes wondering if like manipulation was involved in, in a lot of these missionaries going. And so, you know, if anyone listening, right. I have so many active family members and, and, and non-active or just non-members. Um, but if you know of anyone going on a mission, right. Like I would always say, just inform them, prepare them, make sure that they're going for the right reasons and that it's their, it's their choice and it's not easy. Um, but whatever they do, missionaries and people in those situations, they need love and support 
non-members, members alike can give that support. You know, if you have a loved one, they just need support just because if you don't agree that they're on a mission or not, you know, I'm not active LDS anymore, but if any missionary or a loved one or my niece or nephews went, um, I want to be there to, to be a support because they need it. They need, they need a lot of it. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me your time. This is, uh, I think this is going to be a great episode and I know the audience is going to love it. Thank you so much, Megan. This has been amazing. Thanks for having me. Thanks for sticking around for the full interview. Megan Spence was an excellent guest. I'm so appreciative of her giving me her time for us to have these two conversations and these last two episodes. Her experience at the MTC as an instructor is so enlightening for us to kind of see how it works behind the scenes and recognize that that everybody in every position within the church is going through something and may or may not be all the way in or most of the way out. So one of my big takeaways from many of the conversations that I have with people is, is that we always have to come to the table with compassion. And I loved how she ended off her, her segment there is, is even if one of our loved ones or someone that we're close to, a niece, a nephew, a cousin, a brother, decides to go on a mission, we need to support them and recognize that this is their choice. But it's important for us to try and let them know what they're getting themselves into. So many of us, when we're out in the field and serving as missionaries, have no idea what's in store for us for those best two years, if you will. For some, like my mission, those best two years were very dangerous and very hard. And that would have been good to know and good for my parents to know too. So wherever you find yourself out there, organizing the garage to make it a little bit more tidy, I hope that you have an excellent day.